guaranteed not to ask what a thousand meters are, welcome back to Motorsport 101. Is of course a mile. Hi hey guys, welcome to episode 480 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. Can barely keep it together on that intro. And uh, welcome to round two of uh, America's uh, F1 adventure as we go to the traditional United States Grand Prix round at Austin. Yes, I do love me. I do love me the circuit of the Americas. It just it just hits different. This place it really does. Like, it is quickly becoming one of my favorite rounds on the calendar. It really is. And we had another genuinely really good race. I really enjoyed this United States Grand Prix, and I get to talk to the person who of our team that actually got to be there and represent race fans in person. For the third row, baby. For the, he's, he's, he, like if this was soccer AM, we'd be handing you the hat trick ball right now for you to take home in a glass cabinet to say you've made three appearances at, at, at Texas. Maybe we'll get you free bolo ties instead because that fits a bit better. RJ O'Connell, everybody. Hello, RJ. How are you doing? Well, in the words of uh, in the words of many content creators and influencers that came many years before us, <laughs> calm down, bro. It's just a plank. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tackle that a little bit later on in the show but of course i've got to ask before we, we really get into the nitty-gritty um first of all does cam buckley reminded us how did both of our teams end up sucking in the baseball playoffs like this <laughs> if if he's my, not here so i have to i have to mention that <laughs> if if my team had another disappointing and demoralizing exit against a division rival that we've beaten over the last few years in the regular season standings. I wouldn't blame the postseason format. I wouldn't blame too many days of rest. I would not do any of that. I would just, I would just simply wonder why my team just didn't play like they won 104 games and put up an offense as prolific as the 1927 Yankees. Was that good? Yeah, it was good. You know, it was not good. Ronald Acuna having bases loaded against a gas Craig Kimbrell takes the ball just far enough to not get out of the reach of Johan Rojas at center field. Oh yeah, by the way, I've been on the road a lot, by the way. It wasn't mm. just Austin. Like, I think this is my first time here in a while because within the last three weeks, I did Intercontinental GT Challenges Indianapolis 8-hour. Yeah. I was there for that. I immediately hopped on a plane and made my way down to Atlanta for IMSA's Petit Le Mans, where I finally got to hang out IRL with friend of the program, its own Reiner King. Uh, I'm so I'm so happy for him. He got more inside access than I did. That's crazy. <laughs> my mom was like, "Yeah, go to the roof if you want. You know, why not? Have, have a look from there. Go get get to be on the starters table and all of that good shit." I, go I go to race control where one of their senior officials will say, "I'm in the entertainment business," <laughs> as potential foreshadowing to a very contentious final final hour collision that decided the premier class championship. <laughs> Whoops. Um, <laughs> as one does, you know. <laughs> I had fun with that. And I had mm. fun at Austin. This was actually my first time getting the little sticker that says, you can walk onto the grid for the race. Yeah. I got to see the cards up close. I got to cut through the people, which is, like, terrifying. If you have, like, bad, like, 
a version of like tightly dense crowds or whatever. That's mm. just like, it's so weird, but like, Hey, I got to see the cars up close. It's so sick. That was so cool. I mean, like, I, I was genuinely delighted for you. I'm delighted you got to see King in, in, and watch him cook in person. Um, I, I, I will get to do that one day. Maybe next year we'll have to wait and see how, how things shake out. But, uh, yeah, RJ was down there, again, representing race fans. Do check out his work over there. Have you got another running diary for that this year? Uh, yes. Uh, it Good. should be up on the website. A paddock diary should be up there. Uh, right now, if it isn't already. Uh-huh. Good. Yeah, do, yeah, do check that out at racefans.net. Um, I know Keith and the guys over there are, are, are listeners of the show. Hi, Keith. Good to see you, buddy. Um, in, in Hi, Kobe, boss. Uh, <laughs> as you do. Um, they do very good work over there. Please do support them where you can. Um, we're friends here. I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, you, you got to listen to us and us only, even though I'm on the racist paycheck. Like, like people people produce good shit. Go go listen to it. How, how yeah, can you- yeah, we're, we're not like, we, yeah. It's like, it's like this thing where like, WWE and AEW fans are incredibly territorial. And then like the wrestlers themselves are just like, yeah, we're happy for each other's successes in each other's companies. It's great. We don't yeah. care that much. When MJF is like, I'm so glad people in the WWE are doing great. I'm like, I love this dude. Like, <laughs> like, like, like I, I'm not one of these people that is so stupid to go, well, I work for the race now. And that means autosports suck and I don't read their articles. No, like, look, there is more than enough room on this table for everybody to eat. That's what I've always said. And how we consume media as an entity is important. And you should support the people that you like and you think produces good content. Um, and RJ does a, and there's an outstanding job of that over at race fans. I'd, I'd like to say, and uh, yeah, like we owe these big firms, all of us are taking chances on almost all of us here, except for cam. Someone hire cam. He's good at this shit. He just needs to be able to write a bit more. That's all. But um, like, I still I take tremendous pride in our hit rate of how we, we've all suddenly become professionals at this all of a sudden, which Dude. is really weird. But here we are. But Dude, it's um, crazy. It, it, it is crazy. It never gets old. Um, but uh, it, it, it never stops being fun. Ooh, bit of breaking news coming out of Shams as well. The NBA will return to East versus West for the All-Star game next year. Nice. About fucking time. Anyway, um, <laughs> we go, we go, we're going to talk a little bit about the race itself, and of course we'll, we'll tap into RJ's knowledge and expertise, of course, and being there in person. Uh, as we talk about, well, one of the better races of the year, Max Verstappen mm-hmm. becoming the fifth member of the 50-wing club, but man, did he have to work for it on this one. That was not an easy one uh, for him as he had to take on a rampant Lewis Hamilton in, well, what we thought was a legal car, until it wasn't. Um, <laughs> uh, a a earth-shattering disqualification for a, for a skid block that was too low. Uh, we'll get into how and why we got to that point in the, in the back half of the show. And we'll talk about some of our favorite under-the-radar drives because for the first time since 1993, an American has scored a point in Formula One. <laughs> what the fuck is a kilometer? <laughs> <laughs> Roll is, the clip. Oh, you have no idea what this intro is going to be this week. Oh, like you wouldn't believe. Special provisions will be made on this occasion. Um, so yes, um, we'll be talking about a little bit of history um, on this one. But uh, yeah, it's uh, oh boy. There's a, lot, there's a lot to get into on this absolutely stacked episode of M101. There's a bunch of little stories to get through as well. So it's going to be a fun time for the next hour or so. But you can, basically, you can find us real quick. We are on 
Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles is at Dre underscore WTF1 and at RJ O'Connell. Cam sadly isn't here. He's a little bit under the weather this week. He's genuinely a, you know, rather ill, unfortunately. Get well soon, big man. He's um, ill from Celtics fever. Because <laughs> now it's basketball season. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That, that, that certainly makes sense. Um, so, yeah, he'll be back next week and follow him at cbuckley917. Uh, get well soon, big fan. Just that's the reason why we're going to kick MotoGP back to next week. We're going to do a double header uh, with the absolutely manic Philip Island Australian Grand Prix weekend. I wish people could talk about it a little bit more um, on this one. But uh, uh, a Grand Prix on a Saturday for the first time in eight years um a sprint that never happened um and tony arbolino winning the moto two race and only getting half points for it because it was only nine laps long there's a lot to get through with that yeah, so stick- i heard that race really blowed it- <laughs> anyway that'll be next week alongside whatever the hell happens in buriram thailand so more on that next week so forgive us for being a little bit late on that one, it's just our biggest bike guy is a little bit ill, so it's only fair we let him rest before we let him cook, like a good steak. Um, so that'll be the plan. I feel like that the wrong way around, but we'll go over it anyway. We're also on the website, motorsport101.com, if you want to get some extra thoughts from yours truly on both the Formula One race um, in uh, at Kota and MotoGP's manic weekend at Phillip Island. Uh, you can check that out over there in the blog section. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport one on one five bucks that's you early access to all of our episodes before they go live to the public get upgraded to the $10 level to get access to the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded like Jason is right now and also shout out for coming back on the Patreon wagon Mr. Rezzy Raspassi Rezzy a big member of our discord server has, uh, has re-backed us so thanks Rezzy much appreciated my friend um, does does so much for the track mania community out there as one of the real genuine good people online so thank you rezzy much appreciated my friend much love to you sir now let's get into the united states grand prix Okay, let's tackle the drama on the track first. Did Off it the- tackle because the Dallas Cowboys were there? Well... Mm, to be fair, they were too busy taking L's for that. Anyway, after dominating the, sh- the sprint race after winning the shootout, Max Verstappen came back from starting sixth on the grid, yay for track limits, to win the United States Grand Prix, his record equaling his own world record, 15th win of the 2023 season, and becoming the fifth member of the 50-win club in Formula 1, his 50th Grand Prix victory, the second fastest of all time to reach the 50-win milestone. Only Michael Schumacher did it quicker. Um, I think it was 153 starts for Michael to 181 for Max. He got there. T- Max got there two two races quicker than Hamilton did, which I'm sure will not spark any online debate whatsoever. Um, he had to earn it, though, after a tough fight with Lewis Hamilton, who had to abort a one-stop strategy attempt to try and chase down the leading bull, only to come up just short and finish in second, with Lando Norris scoring his fourth straight podium finish from McLaren in third. Hold that thought. Um, how was that for a fight for the win, RJ? I will go out and say that this was not as great of a race as last year, but this was still 
a very enjoyable race. This was a very satisfying thinking person's Grand Prix. We're not going to talk about the sprint. That was empty calories. These calories were so empty, mm. they might as well be like mall real estate space left behind after Sears went out of business. Mm. There's, there is nothing going on there. So the Grand Prix itself. Lando Norris uh, starts to the... See the outside of the, uh, the first row, Charles Leclerc wins pole position because Max Verstappen had a lap that was good enough and that was taken off the board for going just a little bit outside of turn 19. And then between Friday and Saturday, the white line at turn 19 suddenly is as big as an NFL sideline. <laughs> yeah. They just thought, we're going to paint an extra two feet of paint on the outside of the corner because the drivers and teams moaned about it, despite the fact only eight laps were actually deleted in qualifying. This Nobody. This wasn't a Qatar where it was like 30 or 40. It was eight. And, and, sure and the FIA before. gave in. Mm. I, I've shared this meme before in the Discord. It's just a parody of the famous Onion headline, no way to prevent this, says only country where this regularly happens. But it's a picture <laughs> of an F1 car running four wheels out, out of the white line saying, no way to prevent this, says only series so this regularly happens. And well, we had another case of this. But to the Grand Prix itself, Lando Norris gets the jump on Charles Leclerc, runs way the inside, going up to Big Red to take mm. the turn one. And I'm just thinking, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I'm curious to see how long Lando Norris can keep this up at the front. To his credit, with the benefit of clean air, he was able to pull out a sizable gap, get himself out of DRS range early. It was all just a matter of how quickly Max Verstappen was going to get his way through the pack and get himself within striking distance of Lando Norris. And that came during the middle set of the race. Verstappen undercuts Norris by a lap to go make his first pit stop. And crucially, he gets to take on a second set of medium tires. So I talked with the Pirelli people all weekend, and they said, the mediums and the hards, those are going to be the race, the tires to have. It's going to be a two-stop race. But they generally didn't think that, like, the medium tires would be as good as they were during the race. They were better throughout the weekend. And the big thing here is that by the start of the race, Verstappen had two fresh sets of medium tires to use, and Lando Norris just had one. And mm. that proved to be a difference because Norris has to run two stints on hards. And during that middle stint, he tries his best, but he cannot keep Max Verstappen behind him at long. Lando Norris led half this race. 28 laps. That's, that's still pretty good. I don't think all the people who are calling him Lando no wins are going to be reveling in that for long. Which is crazy to think that both the front row starters, Norris and Leclerc, have both made 100 starts. And that Charles Leclerc forgot he made 100 starts. <laughs> it's actually more than that. It was his 100th start for Ferrari. Um, and he completely forgot it was his 100th start for Ferrari when he had this great big NFL football field helmet. Um, and then just completely forgot that it was his 100th Grand Prix weekend with, with, with Ferrari. And even realized that on Twitter. So I was like, whoops, basically. And it was like, and those 100 start as a driver in general, as was the same for George Russell. 100 starts already. That's terrifying for a guy that's only 23 years old. I liked the idea of Hamilton and Leclerc trying something different with one-stop strategies, but I didn't like the execution that was going on. Apparently, Mercedes didn't like that either because they were just like, yeah, we're not going to fall through on this. We're going to put you on the mediums to try and chase down Verstappen. And to be fair, you got 
pretty close to it. Verstappen was having a tough time with the brakes at the end. He was basically screaming at his race engineer to shut him up while he's in the yeah. braking zone. Gianluca, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I I kind of just thought in the back of my mind, let's see how close he can get. I don't think this is changing hands unless Verstappen blows a tire or <laughs> gets stuck in a gear. I, I can only echo most of your sentiments, RJ. I think... A lot of people were quick to play the quick the uh, pick stop game, and now Mercedes has a very conservative pit crew. Generally speaking, this yep. is true. Um, however, the running Hamilton till lap twenty on the medium tire and their indecision about going one or two stops is, in my opinion, cost them cost them a genuine shot at the win. Um, and they they should have. Resp- I mean, Mercedes released their debrief this afternoon. And James Addison openly admitted that it was that it was he, he called it embarrassing. He actually said it was embarrassing, and he said that that strategy decision they reckon cost them the win. I think it cost Hamilton about six or seven seconds um, because his tires dropped, dropped off a cliff. He had a lockup late on in his stint when trying to nurse them to, to think about stretching it to a one-stopper. This was all while Max was on an undercut on fresh boots. And we all like, we all saw it. The medium, like like, like it's been so many times in, in for Pirelli in, in, in this year, the mediums was the race tire of choice. Um, Max had two clean sets. He was always going to take full advantage of that. It's the luxury of them being such good qualifiers um, or consistent qualifiers, maybe, I guess is the phrase. Maybe they're, maybe they're not on pole every weekend, as we've seen throughout the year, but they're, they're making Q3 every single time. They can save a set by, by only doing a one run here and there, and that and that is huge for them. So with all that in mind, like one, great to see Lando Norris up there. He can control and dictate the terms of engagement. He did that as, as well as he could. McLaren still, in my opinion, isn't there in terms of like. Astro just had a tough, tough mm, weekend. That, that mm. was like that. Qatar was awesome. He wins the sprint, but now it's time to come back down to Jesus because you've not scored in the sprint and your race was effectively ruined. Uh, a few a few corners into the race when Piastri and Ocon sideswiped another through the S curves. Uh, Ocon retires and then Piastri does too. Yeah, Stop. I think Piastri had an in- I think his intercooler failed or something along those lines. And Ocon had a hole in his side pod that looked like Anthony Joshua, one of his new team owners, had taken a swing at it, uh, basically. So, it, uh, looked like the, it looked like the aftermath of Joshua challenging Alexander Yusek a second time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just, just jabbed into oblivion. Um, yeah, so McLaren still isn't there on tire wear, and Piastri yeah. had a rough time learning you know this is the tire management game he goosed himself in in the sprint and his race lasted effectively a thousand yards um but they're not there on time but i was gonna say in terms of ultimate pace mclaren is not far behind what red bull can do at, the, at, at their maximum now i i don't know how much of that was red bull being ultra conservative in terms of their floor which we'll get to um and and, and a little bit later on but if it's anything like what we saw in Qatar, where again, Piastri, who was second on the day that weekend, was was less than five seconds off Verstappen's winning car in a race that was effectively a 57-lap sprint, it shows that McLaren, at their best, are not far behind Red Bull at the moment. And that is very promising. Norris has been consistently brilliant in the back half of the year. This was his fourth podium in a row. Um... There's a lot to look forward to in the McLaren camp. And shout out to Hamilton. Hamilton 
drove the nuts off his Mercedes all weekend long. And it was a reminder of just how fucking good this man still is. Um, he's not had the car to really demonstrate that all season, but that was the nearest challenge Max has had in a race on near equal footing. I'm not counting Singapore. And to be fair, even Singapore, I think, could have maybe gone Red Bull's way if the safety cars had played out a bit differently. But that's the nearest Max has come into, in my opinion, being straight up beaten on merit all year. And that's pretty good. Uh, and by the way, we had a very amusing moment after the race where Max Verstappen accept the winner's trophy and you hear booing from the crowd and everybody's just <laughs> like, damn, man, come on. Booing Max Verstappen just because he wins all the time. That's nonsense. But as it turns out, uh, it wasn't necessarily Verstappen they were booing. It was the man presenting the first place cover trophy, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Oh. Who, I got to say, the booing... You know, compared to some stickers I saw posted in downtown Austin the day after the Grand Prix, mm. that was them being nice. Yeah, I think that was being. Uh, I think that was them being quite generous. Um, Greg Abbott. It doesn't take a lot of googling to figure out that he sounds like a comic book villain when it comes to some of his views of the world, and I don't mean that in a complimentary sense. Um, he's what I like to call, in polite terms, a fuck stick, um, which ironically is also the trophy that Max won at the end of the day. Which was, uh, it, it's. I mean, you could kiss the side of it, and there was a gaping, glowing orange hole at the end of it. It looked like a fucking flashlight. Um, you can giggle all you want. You know I'm right. I know you're right. I just don't want to put Formula One trophy on a hole into the into the thought sphere. But I realize by <laughs> saying Formula One trophy on a hole, no, I'm just in general, like even like in a in a don't say this kind of way. It's just like ah, oh, now it's out there. But I just found that amusing, and you know, mm. I will only give Governor Greg Abbott one thing, at least, unlike another conservative governor who's a state host of Formula One Grand Prix, he was actually man enough to show up. What the oh, fuck were enough. you doing, Rob? <laughs> um, too busy trying Rob. to burn more books, apparently. But, uh, you know. Too, bu too busy trying to wither into a puddle of gelatin <laughs> at the sight of someone who's probably going to go to jail. Oh, well, how unfortunate. Um, oh, no, what a shame. <clears throat> um, what a shame. Anyway. Um, generally no. love this race. Yeah. It was a, loved it. it. Was, mm. And it's so great to see, like, a good atmosphere at Coda because, yeah, there's a worry that, like, the DTS wave is going to come crashing down. I don't think we're ever going to get back to, like, you know, Formula One is burgeoning as a mainstream sport here in the United States. I don't think that. But if we can just keep it steady around like this, there's a good chance we could have like a regular following in the size of the Premier League, which is crazy to think that's even possible 15 to 20 years ago mm. in the United States. 432,000 on the, over the weekend. TV rating was down 12% on last year. A bit of a dip, nothing catastrophic. Um, it's always going to be hard competing against the NFL. Um, that's inevitable on a Sunday afternoon, but not bad is what I would say. I mean, 432,000 is still a good turnout. And I know those tickets weren't cheap either. We all saw the Costco jokes earlier on in the year. So um, they, they didn't do half bad. I, mean, it, like, I think they're going to be absolutely fine in the US. And I know some people have been very quick to play the doom and, and gloom card. Uh, King, get your women's at Jalopnik. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I don't think 
I don't think it should be panic stations regarding F1 in, in the US. We'll see how Vegas gets down in a month's time. Um, but I think they've got a lot to look forward to, certainly. Um, yeah, like, I also enjoy that, like, for me, as cool as Miami is being the hospitality there, there's nothing like Coda when it's a full song, when people are packing the place. Oh, yeah. Because like, this is uh, by far one of the best circuits. And people can say, oh, it's bumpy because it's built on shit land and <laughs> yeah. it's bumpy. You know what? I just say hashtag respect the bumps, which is maybe a wonderful segue into what we're <laughs> going to talk about next, because just as I was in the middle of my roundtables, I get notices. I get whispers of like, hang on, this result might change. Yeah, um... There was rumblings in my Slack chat about this that extended into a full-blown investigation because there was word that dropped about... This was about half past midnight UK time, and I'm still staying up, and I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. There was word amongst the paddock that a a Mercedes and a Ferrari had breached um, the technical regulations. Turns out they had. Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc, after the race, were both disqualified from the result for having a wooden plane below the 9mm legal limit due to excessive wear to the skid blocks. Both teams have taken it on the chin, but a lot of fans were not a fan of the scrutineering process with only two other cars, Verstappen and Norris, having similar checks. Is there a problem with the scrutineering system? Now, we've got to do a little bit of exposition here to explain how we got to this point, because I believe it's only fair. Um, I love that Jason the chat goes, once again, Plank from Ed, Ed and Eddie is innocent. <laughs> Very true. Um, okay, so for those who don't know, since since the tragic pa- um, passings of Ayrton Senna and Roland Ratzenberger in Imola 1994, the Formula One Formula One mandated the rule where you had to a, a attach a wood. It's it's wood, partly glass, plastic composite something glass combination. Plastic. Yeah, it's it's a weird combination of hodgepodge stuff. It, it, it's a plank that goes on the underneath of the car. This was to stop cars from bottoming out by being ran too low to the ground because there's a danger of this. If you run your car you know, too close to the ground and it bottoms out, you can suddenly lose downforce. And if you suddenly lose downforce in a racing car, it can lose control, veer off the road and have an enormous accident. Um, so this was, this was a, a fail-safe to stop you running too low to the ground. This is a much more relevant thing in Formula 1 now because we're in the ground effect era of Formula 1 again. Um, floor aerodynamics are more important than ever. So if you're an F1 team, realistically, you're going to try and run your car as low to the ground as you think you can get away with. Uh, remember that thought. It becomes important later. This has been a thing since, like I said, since 1994. Um, and now we've got titanium skid blocks to, to mount um, that composite to the uh, to the ceiling. Uh, or ceiling or the bottom of the car. Uh, so that, you know, it's to stop teams taking the piss because back in the past you could actually rearrange those blocks in such a way where you could protect the plank um because heavier metals like kevlar didn't wear away against the track so fast they're now they're now made of titanium instead little fun fact there for you um but uh, yeah as a result if you run your car too low to the ground and you consistently bottom out on a particularly bumpy track, like what Coates is, as RJ alluded to, it's built on Swampland. It happens, um, especially for also a MotoGP race weekend holder because 
there's a lot of bumps there too. Um, Mercs and Ferrari ran their cars too low, and the constant impacts of them skidding against the bottom of the track wore out the wooden plate of the skid. The block is 10 millimeters thick. The FIA say you're allowed it. You're allowed it to be nine millimeters long. Um, as a general fail-safe, you're allowed a millimeter. Anything more than that you are in breach of the regulations and if you're in breach of a technical regulation there's only one way it ends and that is in a disqualification and that is what happened to hamilton and leclerc um not ideal i mean just to take it on the chin mercedes i mean they had their debrief today with james allison and they said straight up that yeah we got caught out we we looked at practice they saw the floor, realized it wasn't damaged, ran Hamilton's car lower before they locked it into Park Ferme, and the race came back to bite them, basically. Yes. Hey, Dre, would you like hmm. to know when the last time a uh, Formula One car got tossed out of a race was for a uh, for point wear violation? I want to say it was Schumacher in Belgium 94. It was. The last time this happened was 29 years ago. In the first year of this being, this was really a uh, a haphazard attempt to try and do anything to get the cars under control after Imola 94. Mm. And we got a disqualification in the first season of that happening. And that actually led to Schumacher being kicked off the grid for a couple of races. He would still mm-hmm. become champion uh, that year. And then... If you don't include Yarno Trulli, initially getting disqualified, but then being reinstated, reinstated. upon appeal, yeah. we didn't have anything like this happen in Formula One for 29 years. And then it happened twice in the same race. And that's what's what, crazy is uh, I can think of three instances in this year alone of this happening in sports cars. Porsche uh, at Watkins Glen, Nissan in the Super GT summer race at Suzuka, and then one of the Hondas at the following Super GT round at Sugo. It's it, it's one of these things where in the era of ground effect hero, you are going to run your car as low as you think you can get away with because mm-hmm. running your car lower to the ground, generally speaking, makes your car faster. It makes your downforce more efficient and more effective. Um, and yeah, there's no downside. There's no compromise you make by having a lower ride height on your car. If you if you can get away with the bumps and the unsettlement that might come with running your car lower, you are guaranteed to have a faster race car. It's why I suspect Red Bull are a little bit weaker this weekend compared to what they normally are because Red Bull didn't take any chances. They raised that car up and made their trick floor and suspension layout a lot less effective um, because obviously raising their car up means they're not going to be anywhere near as downforce efficient. And Red Bull, this is what Cam emailed in to say, was like, well, Red Bull's performance is more floor dependent than any other cars on the grid. And that's probably the reason why they were so vulnerable in Singapore because they did the exact same thing. Singapore Sector 1 in particular was repaved. It was very bumpy, and Red Bull didn't take any chances on that. Um, So they raised their car up and sacrificed some performance to make that work, and that is why they were not on the table in Singapore. Fun fact as well, they were so worried about this, they were the only team that was lifting through Eau Rouge at Spa earlier this season because they were so afraid the skid block might get worn out by running solo elsewhere. 
Which Red is Bull crazy won. because they were they handily won that race and one two finish in the t- yeah they 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 won one two and they won by twenty two seconds. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. had a pit stop on the field and they were they were compromising on the on on performance by because they were so afraid of them flagging up the skid block being too badly worn out and well that's how we got to this point now. I'll, you, no one can argue with an illegal car. You found it. It yeah. was illegal. It breaks the rules. Yeah. There's no real argument here. It, no one's arguing it's, that. It's tough. It's like, yeah, this this devalues like what was a very good fight for the lead at the very end, but mm. it is what it is. Charles Leclerc, on the other hand, is just like, God, how can my weekend get any worse? Because he's fighting a toothache. They're putting on a strategy that doesn't work. Something, something, Ferrari bungles a big call from the pit wall. What can you do? And then his car gets thrown out for all of his troubles. He was already the se- that was already the most miserable pole position interview in the mid zone. So miserable that they didn't even put him near one of the two microphones in the in the mid zone pen like they were mm. supposed to do this weekend. Right, right. And, and then he, and then by the time all this is starting to wrap up. Uh, his sits place result is tossed out. It happens. It's yeah, tough. As, as Jason points out now, from pole position, because Leclerc now has 21 of them off the qualifying on pole this weekend, the most of anyone who's not won a world championship, um, he now has the rare hat trick of having a DNF, a DNS, and the disqualification, the free black boxes you get on a Wikipedia page from pole position. How is this even possible, Charles? <laughs> Actually, a DNF is a purple square on Wikipedia. Uh... <laughs> okay. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's, 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 he is right, technically speaking. I, I should know better as a, as a frequent Wikipedia user myself. Yeah, what's up, Toto? Yeah, yeah, fuck off, Elon. Oh, anyway, um, yeah, so, yeah... <laughs> I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned Leclerc and all this as well because that man was miserable. Like that was he, he was on pole. He was put on the wrong strategy. He was the only man who committed to the one stopper all the way to the end, and he ended up finishing sixth from pole position through no fault of his own. Ferrari, what the fuck were you doing, um, Fred? Well, I thought we were through this strategy nonsense. <laughs> Honeymoon's over, Fred. You're you're in a genuine fight for second here, and you dropped an open goal here. Yeah. That's, that's huge as well because like Sergio Perez had he at least had a clean race. It wasn't anywhere close to Verstappen's pace, but that might have just sealed maybe what many would consider the saddest runner-up finish in a Formula One World Championship with Hamilton getting thrown out of the race. I mean, yeah, and and I get, I get why people. Are- I, I, and and, and and funnily enough, that was also Sainz' third inherited podium after the flag had dropped, um, which I think is also quite funny. Um, Hungar- uh, Brazil 2019, Hungary 2021, and now USA 23. Anyway, this is, I mean, people have drawn a lot of flames regarding the scrutineering process because only four cars were checked. And... Mm. It, it's 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 worth pointing this out because I think a lot of people don't know this, and I'm I'm not saying this to talk down to people. I the the answer the question I would ask is when was the last time you looked at an FIA technical delegate report after a race weekend was over? Yeah, good luck with that. Um, so, <laughs> like like I assume if you're listening to this, you touch some degree of grass in your life. The point I'm getting at here is that not everything can be checked on every F1 car logistically the way a Formula One weekend is. 
RJ, do you know how long the F1 FIA technical regulation book is? Give you've me told me that you've told me this, um, and I want to ballpark it and say is somewhere in the 130 pages. Like that is not that's not a that's like one of those instruction manuals that you used to get with your video games when we were like children. It wasn't like <laughs> like in the late by the late 2000s, early 2010s. It was just like a two piece uh, pamphlet that you just easily tossed away. That is a thick book. 183 pages. Yeah, good luck applying that entire book to every single car on an F1 grid after a race is over while also packing them into a cargo box to be shipped to the next race on Monday morning. Yeah, it's, because it's, we go to Mexico right yeah, after this. Like, it's, it's, and most F1 races are now double or triple header now these, these days. That's true. It's, it's impossible. Until we devise a faster way of ch- thoroughly checking every crucial component in every car for safety and for legality... Checking the top four is as good as we're going to get because it's probably assumed if you didn't finish top three or top four, chances are, even if you were cheating with intent, you weren't quick enough to win the race. And look, they checked four of the top six. They checked Verstappen, Norris, Hamilton, and Leclerc. Now, here's what I will say to this in response to people saying because the biggest argument I've heard regarding this is well if you tested four cars and two turned out to be illegal um, what shouldn't that mean you should test more of the field now don't get me wrong there is some credence to that argument I'm not going to dismiss it Um, my response to that would be one you're dealing with a hypothetical scenario here and two if they checked four other random cars on the grid because this is at random let's not forget this um, if they checked four other cars and they all turned up clean, we wouldn't be asking people to check more of the field. It's you're moving the goalposts to suit your argument. I, I, I honestly, genuinely think a lot of this is wrapped up more in who got DQ'd over what the system actually is. A lot of people just did not know that this is how scrutineering has always been. It's never been the whole book, the whole check down. The whole, I can tell yeah. you that I can tell you that from my from my experience in the sports car racing side of things, uh, typically it's always just the top three, or in this case, the top four. And you want to know why it's the top four? I'm going to bore you with a I'm going to bore you with a tangent here. So back oh, in sure. 2019, there was a Michelin Le Mans Cup race at Spa, where all of the top three finishers in the LMP3 class were disqualified uh, for having screws in the crash bots that were too thin. They were all disqualified for the same reason. So the victory went to the fourth place car on the road that won the race. The only problem was everybody in the paddock knew that car was also doing the same stuff. But because it wasn't subject to scrutineering as it didn't finish in the top three, it couldn't check it. So now that's why it's typically the top four finishers in ACO rules competition. Some elements of the book, every car is checked in F1. In some of it, it's only a sample size. In this case, it was four, yeah. for example, with the aero Doesn't component. NASCAR do this too? They do. They only ever strip down the winner. 
like the, the the winner gets stripped down was what we had that controversy with Ryan Blaney a couple of weeks ago where his car was deemed to be illegal until they realized wait our measuring stick was wrong um so they reinstated his sixth place um the, 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 even when you get it right sometimes you get it wrong it's just how it goes sometimes but yeah like for example the aero components on the car three cars were randomly tested it was Yuki Tsunoda's Perez's and Norris's car um again completely at random they were all fine the point i'm getting that with this is that i feel like people are moving the goalposts to suit their agenda on this one it was like Mm. well you know doesn't this mean you should test more of the sample size my response to that would be well why are we assuming that other cars are illegal it's like i said if even if they were illegal were they good enough to win the race even with cheating on the 10 where it would disproportionately affect the result not massively. Not likely. And look, logistically, we can't strip down every car and check every component. That's just that's just not how motorsport works. The FIA has only got a certain amount of resources that they can pull up to do this. And this is how scrutineering has always been in main level motorsport. Only things like tire pressures of the whole field get checked over for because they they take thirty seconds to to, to test a, a, a tire's pressure. Um, and even then, as we've seen in MotoGP, that, that's not that's not necessarily the end of the argument or the story either. Even um, as we've seen in IMSA, that's not the end of the story unless your technical partner rats you out to IMSA. Exactly, you know so. It's all. This is how, like, to borrow an old phrase of mine. This is how the sausage has always been made. Um, it's always been. I like prefer this. chorizo in Texas. To be fair, chorizo is delicious. That is yeah. an absolutely valid substitution. But yeah, like this is how it's always been. I don't have a problem with the system as it is. And for every argument of you should test more of the sample size, I could also make an argument of well, and this is how I look at it personally. Motorsport is officiated under the premise of good faith. It it has to be, because if we didn't, if we assumed that every car and every driver was performing with bad faith intentions to cheat, we would have to itch that scratch in the back of our heads, strip down every single car, check every single component, make sure it's all entirely compliant, and then we'd have to wait until Thursday to get an actual final result. But then we're we're already in the middle of like driver press conferences at the at the following round, right? And we're so, already bogged down with work for covering the driver press conferences and trying to get churn material out of that. Yeah, but uh, by the way, RJ, uh, USA is now official. Hamilton's been thrown out. Bad luck. Um, oh. Exactly. <laughs> like that. That's not feasible. We have to be realistic with the premise of what we are as a sport. And like I said, the sport is officiated in. I like to think it's officiated in good faith. Yep. And even the threat of the random spot check is normally enough for a team not to not to cheat with intent. Mm-hmm. I don't think Mercedes cheated or Ferrari cheated with intent in this no. circumstance. I just think with the with the fact they only had an hour of running before the cars were locked into Park Ferme, Mercedes gambled by lowering the height of the, of the Mercedes car that Hamilton was driving. And they got it wrong. They they underestimated the amount of bumps that are on track over long periods of time, and they were punished for it. I, I don't think they intended to cheat. I just think they were caught out. And that can happen to anybody in motorsport because that's the nature of how you run a car in this era of motorsport. You want to run it as low as you can. So, like, for me, I don't believe we need to start 
changing the parameters of what gets tested on an F1 car because your favorite driver got tossed from a race where his team ultimately was accountable for what had happened. You know, like people were saying, oh, why didn't he even test the sister cars? Why didn't he test Russell and Sainz's cars? Which, again, my response is the same. Why are you making the assumption that Russell and Sainz are running their cars in the same way? Their setups could be entirely different for all we know. You act in a premise of good faith. You don't in you don't go into a motorsport race thinking people are going to cheat on purpose. Because if you do, it changes the entire parameters of how this sport is officiated, and you can't do that. That's my or, opinion. Or, anyway. you're, or you're probably watching NASCAR, in which you're probably thinking, "Well, yeah, these dudes cheat all the time. It's just a matter of who's dumb enough to get caught." Only now it's- they've been cracking down on that harder. Exactly, and to be fair, like, look, you're talking to a New England Patriots fan. Everyone realistically knows that with Spygate, everybody was spying on all the other teams' practice sessions. The Pats were the ones who got caught. Like, it has been generally accepted around the league on that. Same with the Flategate, as Jason points out. Everybody liked their balls inflated or deflated to a certain PSI, depending on feel. The Pats were the ones who got caught out. But everybody was doing it. So again, it's it's like cycling. Like if if Lance Armstrong was the only like, like if Lance Armstrong was the only guy that became the martyr for drug taking in cycling, does that make him a bad person when everybody else was on the juice too? No, Lance Armstrong is just a bad person for things that have that don't necessarily have to do with doping. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But when it comes to the doping itself, well, how much of the shit do you want to throw it in when everybody was doing the same thing? No, you have to assume people are clean when they're doing this, because if they're not, yeah. it changes the entire perception of what this yeah, sport is. We got enough cynical, like cycling and athletics people out there. And I don't even think it's cycling or athletics that they no. test everybody after every session. <laughs> No, and we don't do that. And like in F1, we've got enough shit like post 2021 to deal with regarding to how F1 and the FIA has been perceived where we don't need any more of this shit. I think people are just looking for a punching bag for a team ultimately making a setup mistake. What we can say for sure is that as we know it, at least two cars were definitely clean without a skid block front four. And I'm going sh- to assume that many other cars were probably the same way too. We don't know. Who knows? We may have missed a bunch of illegal cars over the year, but that's if if, if teams want to take that risk, that's ultimately on them. But I, I'll tell you for free, and I think Hamilton would agree with me if he heard this podcast, was it worth it to take a gamble on that floor knowing you lost 18 precious points in a podium finish? To have your car be maybe a, a centimeter too high, you know, a centimeter too low to the ground, it's not worth it. Trust me, it just isn't. Because if it was, teams would take the piss far more often than we do. As you said, RJ, this is only the second floor disqualification in 29 years. It's probably been that way for a reason. That's how this just- sport is. Just thinking. Maybe maybe this is all Michael Andretti's fault. And on that subject, for the first time since Michael Andretti got a podium on his way out of McLaren in Monza 1993, Logan Sargent has become the first American F1 driver to score a point. You know, if I had a nickel for every time an overmatched second driver at Williams got points because cars in front of him got disqualified, I'd have enough money to buy something that costs 10 cents. It's not a lot, but it's weird it's happened so many times. Um, what? Loins. I mean, yeah, look, 
uh, I, I dedicated a section towards a lot of the under the radar drivers, and, and you know, guys got a lot of bumping up because of these two disqualifications, and that included, as I said, Logan Sargent getting his first F1 point. For me, I was more impressed by the fact he finished six seconds behind Maddox Albon on the road. That is a very good performance from Logan Sargent, and that is exactly what Williams was hiring him to be. Not, not necessarily beat Alex, but follow him on the road. That's more than enough, and that's exactly what Logan Sargent did. So good for him. He needs more drives like that to keep his job, um, and I'm glad he was able to deliver at least something to you know to, to genuinely be happy about. Ninth and tenth for Williams on the day. Three more points for them, which means I I, I think barring a funky miracle, they should have seventh locked up by now. Unless yeah. something really weird happens. <laughs> Albon had a good race considering he didn't have a fresh set of mediums available at his disposal. And, and he also the, gave and some... The, yeah. And track limits penalty as well. That's that's true. Albon also gave some really good insight on the, uh, the, the Qatar mess. Because not even everybody... I mean, Lewis Hamilton has more than enough, uh, more than enough of a balance in the karma bank to where this isn't going to overdraft him and put him in the negative. But oh, no, hell not, no. not everybody gets it right all the time. It happens. Alex Albon, though, got it right on Qatar. You know, it's not a fitness thing. It's a heat exhaustion thing. That's why these dudes were having as tough a time as it is. It's lucky I'm a track and field fan. And like the moment, because I remember Hamilton made comments at the Thursday press conference said, oh, F1 is an extreme sport. You know, you don't see marathon runners passing out halfway through. And I was like, my dude, you're in Do- you're in Qatar, right? And I did the Googling on this because I watched the World Athletics Championships from Doha back in 2019 when it was being hosted in Qatar. Totally not a sports watching thing, by the way. Anyway, point I'm getting at here is that the marathon... In 2019, that was that was happening at the World Athletics Championship that year was run at midnight. The reason why it was ran at midnight was because of, and you'll never guess, the threat of heat exhaustion. Yeah, that's one of the first things I learned from that from that uh, pretty good episode about oh, yeah. the St. Louis Olympic Marathon is that they will not start a marathon if it's above a certain ambient temperature. Yeah, and even then. They still ran this marathon in, I think it was 31 degrees at midnight in Qatar. Um, It was 31 degrees, which I think is about 86 Fahrenheit in U.S. terms. Mm. Um, It was a hot weekend down in Austin, by the way. Not not as hot as it was Mm. in Qatar, but it was still like hot. Yeah. Fun fact, it, that marathon in 2019 was run at 31 degrees with 77% humidity. Um, and on top of that, only 40 out of the 68 women finished the race. And the championship winning time was the slowest ever seen in a world championship. Please do not sit there and tell me right, that this shit might or might not be dangerous. It is. No one is accusing marathon runners of being not fit enough. It's bollocks, Lewis. You know better. Uh, this is what I will say. Like, like the, the comments he made was was complete nonsense. He like, I don't get me wrong. As you said, RJ, he's a fucking brilliant human being, and he's done more than enough in the bank of goodwill to take a take a withdrawal on this occasion. Quite frankly, but I'm not going to excuse ignorant comments. On yeah. something where I saw Lance Stroll pass out behind the wheel of a racing car at 190 miles an hour. On the subject of Lance Stroll, mm. when you consider all the shit we were rightfully giving him for having him for being miserable to watch, 
miserable around certain people in his staff. He had a fantastic race. And I want to lay this out because it wasn't just Mercedes and Ferrari that were having a hard time coping with just having one free practice session per weekend. Aston Martin were one of three teams that brought significant upgrade packages, but could not get a grip on them because in addition to only having one practice session, their brakes were also failing. Stroll yes. had so little track time this weekend. So Aston Martin realizing that they hadn't gotten all the way around their upgrade package decided, we're going to start both our cars from the pits. And we only yes. have enough to put the upgrades on one car. So it's going to be Lance because Fernando is old and he's more adaptable when he's done this stuff. more. And Lance Stroll probably had his best race of the season. Yeah, it's seventh after disqualifications are applied. I know. But when you consider that Aston Martin has been in a bad way lately, that's huge. It's a big result. I'm not going to ignore the fact that Fernando was a little bit down the road and was channeling maybe a top six finish um, if it wasn't for the fact that, um, again, he his car had floor damage and had to, they had to retire the car towards yeah. the end. Um, but... That is exactly what Lance Stroll should be doing. He should be backing Alonso yeah. up where he can. If he if he was doing that all year long, we wouldn't have a complaint about him being second fiddle to Alonso. Like that, that's yeah. what he's been needing to do all year. That that is a damn good drive from Lance Stroll, and he yeah. needed he needed a day like that. And I'm glad he got one because, um, you know, we've given him a rough time. And I think I'm not the only place that's given him a hard time. A lot of that has been deserved this year, if we're being completely frank. But <laughs> you got to hand it to him when it's true. I want to give a shout-out to Yuki Tsunoda as well. Yuki Tsunoda. Oh, my God. Yuki Tsunoda. Yuki Tsunoda loves Austin. You remember the first year he came and, and he, like, gave his first interview. He was just like, yeah, Tess's barbecue isn't that great. I think he's changed his tune immensely because <laughs> Yuki Tsunoda loves driving at Austin, Texas. And you know what he loves more? Getting AlphaTari's best result of the season plus a fastest lap bonus points to Eight potentially down. put AlphaTari on the path to getting off the bottom of the table with four races left in the season. Ye motherfucking ha, everybody. Um, yeah, eighth place on uh, after this qualifications kicked in. He had enough in hand over the Williams where he could take a free pit stop at the end of the race um, and go for the fastest lap. He got the fastest lap, so five points on the day for Yuki Tsunoda. A phenomenal result. Um, and as a direct result of that, takes Afatari to 10 points on the year and only two behind Haas in the Battle of the Wooden Spoon um, on the F1 standard. That is a massive result. And again, you've got to feel a bit sorry for Nico Hulkenberg, who again had another great race out of the pits. He ended up 11th after the after the, the DQs kicked in, was just oh. beaten by Logan over the line with four laps to go. Um, it, would have been, it would have been a point for Haas if he had gotten there. Um, but uh, again, just 11th place. I mean, Hulkenberg again, having a very good season under the radar, I, I yeah. must say. But uh, AlphaTauri doubles their entire season points hold in one weekend. That was a mega, priceless weekend for and they needed that too. They needed that too, especially when you didn't know how Daniel Ricciardo was going to come back. And like, physically, I'm sure he's fine, but he does need a few more weekends to settle back in the rhythm, which is crazy to say for a multi-time Grand Prix winner, but it is how it is. He's had two races all year. He had... Two months off the sh on on the shelf, 
Um, and his car was damaged. He had front wing damage the whole like the whole back half of the race because there was a piece of debris stuck in his front wing, um, and that made him slow. It's why he ended up seventeenth on the day in the end. He was trying the one stopper and it just did not work. Um, and part of the reason was because he had a damaged car, which is just unfortunate. Um, the amount of hot takes I got in my inbox this week saying Daniel Ricciardo is now cooked as a direct result of this race. I'm like, my god, you people turn fast. Um, like the, the like, well, just wait. Dan Ricardo is going to have a better Mexico City Grand Prix, and suddenly we're going to be saying, "Oh, Yuki's washed." It's not a fair fight in this game. Um, now you they're know just try- they just—they're just trying to work together to get off the bottom. I think we well, all agree on that. Yeah, and also I wanted to ask you about this as well. Anyway, before it was even on on our set list, but I wanted to mention, like, you saw it all in person and have it played out. How was the F1 Academy uh, season finale over there? Because it was—we we could, we could actually watch it. Live stream yeah. to the world on 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 uh, YouTube and Twitter, as on, which was great to see. And on Sky, uh, and I'm just on, on F1 yep. TV, and I'm just thinking, God, what took you so long? Um, okay, so first and foremost, congratulations to Marta Garcia. This is her first Formula One Academy Championship. She wrapped it up in the first race of the Triple Header Weekend on Saturday morning. That was cool to see. Um, Hamda Alkabaisi wrapped up third in the championship behind Lena Bowler. Um, I am glad that they got something arranged. I'm glad that this is going to be uh, live full-time moving forward. I know a lot of people have their reservations about the tracks they chose next year, but I did have the opportunity to sit in a roundtable with F1 Academy's managing director, Susie Wolf, Mm. who obviously does bring a lot of her experience as a driver and as a team principal to the table. You know, when I hear her speak about a number of topics such as why these circuits what is your plan for in the future? It feels like these words have weight based on her experience. It feels like these words have weight when she talks about how she wants to learn from the W Series failures and make this sustainable, not just for this crop of 15 drivers, but for potentially future crops of women racers coming down the pipeline through Cardi, through other Formula 4 championships, and so on and so forth. I just hope, for her sake, the sake of these competitors and for the sake of the women who are set to come after that it works out in the end because it's going to be challenging for a lot of things. Susie talked about making this financially sustainable. It's hard to be financially sustainable in any form of motorsport, much less Mm. junior formula racing. Mm. Um, I understand the need for track time. I know a lot of these tracks are not going to be popular decisions, but there is also like other factors staring us like, the Emirates wanted an, a Formula One Academy race because of the Alcabaisi sisters having success in this championship. Are you they sure that's the only race. reason, RJ? If we're I'm, if I'm, if I'm being completely blaming each other. And, oh, yeah. yeah and there's, yeah, uh, there's yeah. other factors involved in this, too. <laughs> you can't Let's see the Johnny Manziel hand gestures here for a second. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I'm not going to – I don't want to be – I don't want to necessarily play bad cop here for a second, but like yeah. I'm just I'm just being honest with my perspective about this. Yeah, we talk, definitely. Like we talked at length about the W series on this very podcast. I've done it on and off the pier. I've done it on WTF one as well. Like I'm glad Susie is at least addressing the staple problems of the W series head on. I respect mm-hmm. that. Like we all know the facts now. The W series folded at the end of last year. They were seven million in the red when they shut down. Um, yeah. I I wasn't a fan of Catherine Bonmer handing out the winners' trophies at Formula E's London finale when at the same time the women who were in her series that last year hadn't been given their prize money for that final season. Which is crazy. 
uh, Abby Pudding was owed a hundred thousand dollars as a result of that, and she and that's part of the reason why she was in this series in the first place. And that it's very sad because for, like, that's just that was a lot of money that for some of these women was their livelihoods, and I, I think that still it makes me angry knowing that a lot of people missed out on a lot of what well, what could be in the eyes of many life changing money. Yeah, and, that's so true. And like I, I'm not, I'm not, and this is not. I want to. I want to say this and make this clear. Yeah, it, it would be unfair for me to necessarily beat the academy over the stick with the same brush. Yeah, and plus, However, plus, we're 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 two dudes that hmm. are weighing in on this topic as well. Exactly. So please take that with that grain of salt as well. Absolutely. Like I, I do check and recognize my privilege as a man talking about this. Yeah. Um. If and to balance that, I will say, please read Elizabeth Blackstock's post about this on Jalopnik talking about the importance of women having a space to be able to talk about this and to be able to see it with their own eyes is massively important. And that's why I was so frustrated with the lack of live broadcasting in the first because my attitude was always, you want as many eyes on this as possible. Like, and This is your baby Formula One. Like, and you now have the privilege of being able to own the all-female racing series market and you've got a pretty much limitless money pit if you want to go down this road. You make two billion a year. You can more than afford to run a series like this off your own dollar if it really if you were really and genuine, pay an 11th team regularly yeah. every year to participate in your championship just a thought but you know like the point i'm getting at here is that and this, this is something that I, I think the w series never wanted to acknowledge and fully grasp if you want women to genuinely be able to climb the ladder and potentially make it into formula one one day you've got to accept you're going to lose a lot of money in being able to do so you cannot do this on the cheap, and you cannot do this and expect to turn a profit. It's impossible the way the market is right now. And, you know, I'm glad that the teams are leaning in. I'm glad that McLaren is is giving simulator time to Bianca Bustamante, who was the first driver to be announced. Filipino national hero Bianca Bustamante. That's why Singapore's got a race, because they want her to have a de facto home round. Yeah, and I didn't even realize she has 750,000 Instagram followers. Bianca Bustamante is a star back home. Holy shit. Um, th- how, how's that who for numbers? Who needs Manny Pacquiao? The f- no one. Like, f- f- the, the man the man owes them money. Now, don't get me wrong. Look, um, so don't get me wrong. Like, I'm glad that people like Bianca Bustamante is getting resources thrown at her. This, the McLaren simulator, who knows what else, that, what else it might be. If it's going by the Polo lawsuit, apparently that's worth a good $100,000 plus. Um, so hopefully that's resources that can go into making these women better racing drive, which is the whole idea, which is the whole point. I hope other teams can get need to make that kind of investment i know ferrari's got assets and tools and then they got that he were doing there as well potentially you know racing over on the sports car side of things there's a lot of potential here in what this can do um i'm, I'm glad we got a broadcast shout out to my colleague harry benjamin who did a very solid job over there um, commentating that alongside Naomi Schiff, and the fact that sky gave it genuine like post-race time to digest the result to analyze the result to break it down i can't say i'm a fan of jamie chadwick being on there but i digress i understand why um she was on there um because that's something the f2 and f3 races don't get 
when Sky broadcast them. You know, like Sky had their own dedicated studio team dedicate half an hour of post-race coverage to the Academy races. That's good. That's important. And I'm glad that was acknowledged. There's a lot of positives to me to take from this. What my big concern was, and I told you this on our Discord server, RJ, my big concern is what is next? Is there going to be a guaranteed step in place to get these women up the ladder? Because I think what you need, if you really want to make this work, you need guarantees. The IndyCar ladder works best because you get the guaranteed funding to move up the ladder if you win. And, and that is the most effective ladder we have in the junior system across world motorsport, in my humble opinion. Because now, we don't even get those guarantees, even if we win the Formula 2 title as a rookie. We have, that used to be a form duck. Yeah, we have, we've had three years in a row where the F2 champion didn't get an F1 seat straight away. Even Oscar Piastri, who did everything right, had to sit in the Alpine Academy for an extra year. Like, you know, Marta like, Garcia, another Alpine Academy common success, but I digress. Exactly. But, uh, you know, look, Theopal Share is probably going to win the championship at the end of Abu Dhabi in, in November. Good chance he won't be on the grid next year. In fact, I'll say it was a very good chance he won't be on the F1 grid next year. There's only one seat left, and it's Logan Sargent's. So, you know, it, it, we're going to be going for four years in a row where the F2 champ will not get straight on the F1 grid. You need a guaranteed ladder. If that means buying a guaranteed seat in an F3 team or buying a guaranteed seat or team in Freca, by all means, do it. I would absolutely champion that. I hope... That's the next step, because I think that is what you need. I think you need guaranteed progression as an incentive to have them. Because let's be real here. None of these women want to compete against other women, really. Ideally, they want to compete against the male-dominated sector, which is what motorsport is. Give them a seat. Give them guaranteed seat development and track time and let them cook and see what you've got. That could work. Not a soul would disagree with us on that. Like, that's what I want. I'm hoping to hear some good news soon. It sounded like there was going to be opportunities for advancement and not just for the champion. Uh, I hope we get good on that because there's a lot of talented young women in this field. I'm sure there will be many more coming in next year who deserve these opportunities. And even in the case of Megan Jilks, she's going to stop racing, but she has an opportunity to advance to Formula One in a different way as an engineer. Yeah, which is brilliant, and congratulations to her. I know she's got she's got a gig at Aston Martin. She's going to be starting up soon, so congratulations to her. Um, yeah, like this is this is what I'm getting at here. And like I said, I do thoroughly check my privilege as a man saying this, talking about women's motorsport. But I've seen enough of of how this has gone down in other places to know that it's the the W Series didn't know what it wanted to be, and that is ultimately why it failed, in my opinion. And the Formula One has a chance to do it right and do it properly. I have every confidence in Susie Wolf. I'm I I, I I've been critical of their mistakes. I think the streaming and the lack of it and the lack of access to it was a problem. Yeah. I think they should have ironed that out straight away, and they didn't. I'm glad we got this at least to you know to give us a flavor of what's to come. I think that is good. The, the fact it's going to be part of the F1 circus next year is good. The fact that we're going to get all these races live is good. Um, and I hope there is genuine guaranteed progress. I know Marta Garcia has got, there's, there's heavy talk. She's going to be in Frecker in a top tier Frecker seat next year, which is great. Um, that's is what she should be at quite frankly. Because I want to see the teams that are funding these cars, like the Rodin Carnins of the world, the Primas of the world, 
stand by these women and encourage them to come up the ladder as well and see how good they can genuinely be. I'm not saying that they've got, they've got to take a, a magic carpet ride into Formula 1 to make everybody else feel better about it. But what I, I do, I'm, I am conscious that this generation of women you're probably not going to get a huge amount of success stories when people like Jamie Chappell has been beaten around the system. She's 25 now. You're not going to get it realistically. You're not going to see her in a top tier seat, but the next generation is the one that can be salvaged with the right support and the right backing. And that needs to start today. In my opinion, you, know, you need to be setting up now for what you're going to be doing five to 10 years down the road. And I, I think it's important. And I hope that, the academy gets this right because they have they have all they have all the resources all the money and all the clout to make this happen the question is do they want to make it happen or is it just going to be an exhibition series that you want to sell to the highest bidder for, you know, for money's sake to make yourself feel better about what your product is because if it's that then i'm going to be just as cynical about it as i was about the w series and i don't want to do i don't i don't want to be that way i don't want to be looking at like david coulthard's involved oh great it's another one of his little ways of using women as a usp to make some buck like i know i know the fm can be better than that and that is why i'm so this is why i feel so strongly about it we got reason to be cynical towards F1 about a lot of things. This really shouldn't be one of those reasons. But yeah, hopefully a lot of this will start to come good next year and in the future. Drake, that was a that was a solid United States Grand Prix. It really uh, was. Um, it really was. I think that was one of the better F1 races we've had all year. I think it's up there with, with Singapore as one of the genuine good ones. I mean, maybe it wasn't the most round buck just for track action but i think we had uh, we had strategic intrigue and tactical play all the way through this race till the very end and i don't think you can realistically ask for much more than that um given the scenario so i was really like i've said it, i said it before this this episode last week Cota has become one of the genuine best rounds on the calendar for fan turnout, for fan appreciation, um, and for quality of races. Like Cota's had a, f- a fair few really, really good Grand Prix over the years now. It consistently produces good racing um, on two wheels and on four, and it should be treated and celebrated as such. So I'm really, really glad that this was a great weekend. I'm glad you had a great time um, as, as well. Um, my, my, my road word, raving ways in 2023 are pretty much over <laughs> maybe one more bonus trick at the end of the year i'm not sure i'll know about that soon but it's not looking likely so this is it i can chill the rest of your at home yeah um and i think so too i mean i've been spoiled enough this year you know so vegas for a weekend was enough was enough for anybody and, and apparently that's that wrong breeze gonna actually be happening in three weeks time so god knows what we're going to be installed for that one um formula one is back this weekend the mexico mexican grand prix in mexico city fingers crossed i mean there are rumblings about hurricane um which we call it about uh, a hurricane Otis. Otis, but from what I've been told, it shouldn't be a threat to Mexico City. Uh, obviously, everybody do stay safe out there. Yeah. Um, of course, um, South the tires in the bunch. So, yeah, three, not four, not much has gone. Not much has gone right for Sergio Perez since Miami. Oh. If one thing is going to go right, can it just be this race? Just give him a podium. Just give, make his dad happy. Make him want to kiss half the Red Bull family on the mouth. Like, just give me that, okay? <laughs> if, yeah. 
if nothing else, okay, give me a competitive Sergio Perez round and I'll be a very happy man indeed. Um, so, yeah, that would be great to see. Uh, like I said, Mexico this weekend. If you're a MotoGP fan, we've got a race there this, this weekend as well. We're going back to the Chang International Circuit in Buriram for the Thailand Grand Prix. One of my personal favorites, actually. Really looking forward to this one. Thailand's been a fantastic addition to the bike in Canada since it's come on there and it, this should be another good one. Thankfully, it's probably going to stay dry this time around, thankfully, because last year, oh boy. Um, What's the wind like? Blowy. Thankfully, not as blowy as Phillip Island. More on that next week. Uh, it'll be flipping marvelous. Um, so, yes, Buriram and Mexico City next week. Um, again, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I've been Dre Harrison. He's been RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening. We will catch you next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all!